Black Men Cry Too is an invitation for men of color to feel safe to unpack their hurt and share their truth. This space was created as an invitation for men of color to feel empowered to know it's okay that they can cry too. I'm Retro Barbie, hashtag bright hair, dark liquor, and I'm here to tell you to take care of your balls. Black Men Cry Too is sponsored by Manscaped. Cat Curveball. For your partners who like to wander down yonder, make sure you head over to manscaped.com and use code BLACKMENCRY2, two O's. Your partner and your balls will thank you. Thank you so much, Videl, for sitting down with me today and giving us some time, because I know you're very busy, so I'm very appreciative to have you on this couch with thank me. Thank you, thank you. To start off, we're gonna cheers to H2O. <laughs> this is gonna be a little slight change, but thank you. Cheers. So to start it off, you have been incarcerated before, correct? Yeah, yeah, I was. Can you speak a little bit on what the situation is, if you could, and what your experience was? But I mean, before you even start there, you don't think a lot of us are incarcerated? I think I was physically incarcerated, but then that doesn't mean some of our people wasn't mentally and spiritually incarcerated. So as myself, you know, I was, uh, before I was incarcerated, um, I actually experienced violence very early. Um, poverty is violence. Um, so I was incarcerated. I was actually, I uh, came from a mom who was an immigrant. Um, Dominican Republic, uh, she, the activist herself was. Um, and my family survived the uh, dictator Trujillo's. Um, era, wow. uh, where he was really known for a lot of times for killing a lot of the Haitians, um, and my family kind of lived through that. Um, so I think before even me being incarcerated, you know, I, I, we actually came here for opportunity, you know, the same opportunity everyone dreams of. I was actually uh, homeless when I was five, six years old because my mom's actually started to take a, you know, shift in her life where we was living in a household. Uh, under my father, um, biological father, and he decided to have another baby mom's. And it came, became very difficult. So we was homeless at five, six years old. Um, I was living under a staircase in Washington Heights. Okay, I was going to ask you where. Yeah, yeah. and you know, I, you, there's a moment where you get to love your moms more. Um, there's a point where you, you got to see some of the struggles she do for you. You know, someone can tell you they love you, you know what I'm saying? But early age, that was something for me. Um, and, and me selling drugs at her, uh, seven, eight years old, um, being gang related um, at 14, 15 years old, you know, those what led me to that lifestyle of being incarcerated, right? You know, my role models are individuals who was, uh, individuals who was drug dealers, pimps, gang members, and the same cycle of people. Right, so the people who actually became someone or, or had a great background of being successful, or, or, or even the people that you have on your show, they never came back to the hood. They left the hood. So the people that taught the hood was the same cycle of people. You know what I'm saying? So me, my first time I was incarcerated, I was 16 years old. I was tried as an adult. That means I was going through a court system, and I was like 5'2", 120 pounds, long hair, and the judge, majority, he was white, and looking at me and saying, you know what? 
you can look at me not as a, a 16 year old, knowing that a child's mind doesn't fully develop to 25, right? You're looking at me as a dope. I'm not saying that, you know, everyone should do crimes, or, you know, people, I'm saying there has to be a different accountabilities of what, how this country is dealing with people who are incarcerated, are, are dealing with poverty, um, and we know this country is rich. And we have, fear. we have the most people incarcerated. We have 2.2 million people incarcerated. Across the nation. Across the nation. We're in a pandemic. And you're telling people we're supposed to stay six feet away. Me being incarcerated and me seeing that, uh, knowing that my first time being incarcerated, and I know someone first time being incarcerated and their first time is being through the pandemic. So, you, you know, like me being 16 years old, I was two, in 2007, I was incarcerated for two years. Um, I seen, you know, I, I learned why they call Rikers Island, Rikers Island, um, Torture Island, Gladiator School. You know what I'm saying? I heard those terms. Yeah. Well, you know, this is something we we heard stories of Rikers Island. Right. From Ice Cube to Tupac, right? And, and for me, like me growing up in those eras, they had that traumatized of violence. You know what I'm saying? That Rikers Island was known for. And, and they, they confused it as a prison. So, you know, they call it Gladiator, Gladiator School and Torture Island. I learned why they call it. Uh, torture Island the first week when I seen 16 and 17 year olds um, creating a sheet to hang themselves because they could not bear the, the abilities to, to, to live um, or what consequences they're going to be dealing with in being incarcerated. You know what I'm saying? So like it, it comes to a certain point where me as an individual being incarcerated, and this happens to a lot of our youth who are incarcerated they, they have this urgency to feel belonging. They try to make every bad experience, especially living in poverty, less, less harmful, less uh, unlike, le less tasteful. And what they do is they see if they have other friends that are in there who connect with them. They can talk about stories about how it means to be in car, how it means to be living from the same neighborhood, knowing the same mm -hmm. girls. You know what I'm saying? Building your own sense of community within. Within. So two years I was incarcerated. I came home when I was 18. I didn't know no one who returned back to, from being incarcerated. No man. There was no table created for formerly incarcerated people. You know, that's what we call people who are incarcerated or coming home or returning citizens. And we don't call people who are incarcerated inmates. We call them detainees. Even if they're incarcerated and sentenced, they're detaining. They're detained in these facilities. Um, so I, I, I came home at 18 years old. Turned down everywhere. McDonald's. Um, I also had a felony, so I had to check the box um, before New York actually banned the box. Where some people know that you had to mm -hmm. check that you had a felony. Mm -hmm. I had to check that. You know, I don't think I realized that they removed that. When mm -hmm. did they remove that? Uh, from my knowledge, 2008. I, I don't. I don't really. 2009. I don't, I don't so really know about that. So at least around roughly that. 10 years. Yeah, roughly around 10 years because um, that is still a problem down south too. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of people are still um, coming home from incarceration and they got to uh, check a box and it makes it more harder to get a job. So what they do, the residual rate in New York, in America is 70%. So that means in five years, I've been home five and a half years. That means I have that person that came home for five years had to have an opportunity to get reincarcerated. And you look at other countries like, you know, like their uh, residual rate, like Norway and Germany, their residual rate is 20%. 
Because they teach it. They, they use it as like a rehabilitation in a sense. They prepare you to come mm-hmm. back into the world. But it's like, how can you talk about nowhere in Germany uh, uh, about abolition? The, the abilities that jail is not existing. And Germany is not, is not creating the same experience that they created for Jewish people. They know that. And, and the thing about it is, if you look in our history and you look at, at how the Nazi has operated, they got some of their learning from this country. Yep. So that's a big thing that we and, don't talk about. And they don't even talk about that. The, they said, the Germans said that the one drop rule was too crucial. So some of the things, the resident rate of how the history that they had, what they do is that they make sure when people go inside their facility, that it's accountabilities, not punishment. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, like, I get it. The way it should be set up. It's the way they should be set up. But I also believe that prisons and jails shouldn't exist. But what happens when someone does violence? Right. Right? What is accountabilities? Accountabilities should go more far than the norm in Germany, where they're meeting people's basic needs when they come in. And they, the government works so much with the community. So ask, they ask a local business, if one of the uh, formerly incarcerated individuals coming home from Norway, is they say, hey, do you have, um, we have a guy that's really great at engineering. Is your shop able to accept them in? No, we can't. Okay, we're going to give you money so you can expand. Wow. That's what they do in Germany. And that's what they do in Norway. Oh, Norway. Norway. Wow. That's so amazing. I, for me, when I resident, like, and got reincarcerated again at 19 years old, I seen two things. I seen the same people still incarcerated, some people who got their high school diploma and their GED. Because at the time, New York has a, a readiness bill. A readiness rule is basically the prosecutor can actually prolong uh, how long he wants to start trial. So Khalid Browder, when you talk about his story, that is something that happens to so many people in our hoods. So many people in our hoods who don't know their rights, do not, don't know how to go through the legal system, don't know they're getting fucked, and don't know what the judge or the lawyer is actually even talking about lingo-wise. But you know about Cardi B and everyone else. That's the lingo. That's the freedom. That's the key to knowledge. You know what I'm saying? So, like, for myself, for me, I did not know that. I didn't know my, the laws. And when you look at Khalid Browder's story, that's what happened to a lot of people in our neighborhood. People who are innocent, right, who are incarcerated for three and a half years, five years. That happened many times. But people who are not even innocent, what communities they came from? Poverty, underfunded, over-incarcerated, over-policed communities. And when I got incarcerated again at 19, so I was 24, it was the same people. And, 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 and what I learned, man, in there, I, I was still in the gang culture life. And I spent, you know, 905 days in solitary confinement. You know what I'm saying? For a lot of people in the streets, that's like putting in the work. He was putting in work. But at the end of the day, it's like, now that all that kind of um, passes by, a lot of people don't know what solitary confinement is. A lot of people who are incarcerated don't even talk about that experience. You know what I'm saying? Like being, being a six by eight cell where you have a toilet and sink and you got a dirty mirror, maybe it might be broken and messed up. But imagine you spending, you can't, some, some human beings in the pandemic was happening. Uh, Canada and, 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 and London was calling me for uh, radio stations is calling me for, um, to talk to their community, to their uh, country about telling people 
how to stay in because I've been in solitary confinement longer than ever. And I had to ask myself, do I step aside and say, did, and, and, to talk about my trauma or do I help out people and know that my experience that I dealt with could help someone else? I'm speaking. I think, I think it, 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 there's, there was a so big connection to solitary confinement this year to the pandemic being in, inside for so long that people was like learning about solitary confinement, learning about Khalid Browder. And then from there, you know, I, I came home five and a half years and I, I really started getting more active in the criminal justice system. But I started learning a lot. Like I started learning about the Willie Lynch, the way that we are used against each other, the way that old is used against young, light skin against dark, mm -hmm. woman against men. Mm -hmm. And specifically within our community, they always pit our community against each other so we don't have the idea of us banding together mm -hmm. and actually progressing as a community. It's a method to always just keep us. But let's get real. The Willie Lynch talks about how they broke a horse, that's how they break us. In the Black Lives Matter revolution, it's, it's a, in, re, in reality, it's a black liberation movement. So I, it, you have to get serious. Black liberation movement, August just passed, that's the most resistant of people who was fighting to get freedom, the, the ability to be looked at as human beings. Look at Black August, formerly incarcerated people, the prison strikes, the abilities for people and their rights to fight for showers or, you know what I'm saying? Imagine you as a human being not taking a shower in a whole week. And you ask yourself about like, what's happening, Black Lives Matter is not just from someone's life being taken, it's, it's actually, when someone's incarcerated and someone is homeless, someone's dealing with mental health, someone is, uh, uh, is, is, is even incarcerated. Like, Black Lives Matter is, 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 is not just that, it's a black liberation. Can we talk about mm -hmm. how you have actively been out here since May? Yeah, that's 118 days, I think. 118 yeah, 18 days, days, yeah. And um, not only have you been Black Lives Matter, but you also have been doing Close Rikers. Yeah, 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 I've been doing, yeah. Can you talk about your experience and the importance, more so over the experience, mm -hmm. the importance of you being out there and dedicating yourself to being out there and rallying people and creating policies instead of just walking through the streets and creating awareness? We are aware. Yeah. It's what are we doing afterwards, which I think you are a great pillar and example of someone who is doing the active work of, mm. we know here's a, this is the problem. Yeah. These are the solutions that I'm pitching that we should all be banding together. Yeah. I mean, first we have to talk about when Mayor de Blasio took office, he was at 11,000 people detained on Rikers Island. First, what is Rikers Island? Rikers Island is, uh, is operated by the Department of Correction. There's 12 jails, nine jails on Rikers Island, three jails that, exist, that are existing in our communities. Manhattan, the Tombs, Brooklyn Houses, and also you have um, the Bronx, the boat, the slave ship. Majority of people are in there 24 hours, mm -hmm. locked in. Slave ship. And you have the Queen's Houses that's not used, but it's used for uh, CSI. And when now the jail population is down to 4,000, it's the lowest that ever been since World War II in New York City. Wow. And that was because directly impacted people 
created a table, you know, and the table was created by individuals who are formerly incarcerated and, and, and heard the cry just not just completely broader. He was the last strike. And it's sad to say that. It was, why haven't we did something before? And as a human being, we, you know, it comes to that thinking of like, you lucky we just want justice. You know what I'm saying? Because it, it came to a certain Instead point. Instead of revenge. Mm -hmm, it came to a certain point, formerly incarcerated people in New York City. No one talks about that wave of formerly incarcerated people stepping up in all different angles from reentry, from uh, the cure of violence, credible messaging work, from, every, from even uh, running for office. Formerly incarcerated said, yo, when the Close Rikers Island campaign was launched, it was launched on the thinking that we had to close Rikers. Anything else after that will come next. And in one year, um, this campaign launched and it had 176 organizations that was signed to it. 176, 70, 176 organizations, faith leaders, grassroots, reentry, everyone, different thinking. But knew that we had one, we had different way how we do the work, how we think, but we knew our ending goal was to close Rikers. But we knew that wasn't not the only goal. You can't just close facilities and jails and not repair the harm that it created. Rikers Island is itself is 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 a stain to our city. It was something that, as a collective, I gave it my all my last four years. That was the close Rikers Island campaign, because I knew that when I step out there, I'm not just representing myself, but representing you, the audience, the people who are here. Because there's a certain point where some people, our people don't know how to fight. We got to teach them. Right. So I was able to not just organize directly impacted people. I, I was a part of building the biggest East Coast of directly impacted people. We built the army of, of individuals understanding like, yo, we have to close Rikers. But we also knew the value as taxpayers of how much it costs to keep Rikers open. 350K per person. How much are we paying for colleges? How much are we still paying for colleges? <laughs> so, you know, the Close Rikers Island campaign was a four-year campaign. Um, and, and we started learning about the, 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 the money bracket. You know what I'm saying? Because we can talk to human beings with, like, how it feels to close Rikers. But how do we get to the, you know, the Wall Street people who just want to hear numbers? And when we started talking numbers, you know, as taxpayers for our own doing lawsuits every year is $30 million. You know what I'm saying? For to take, you know, it takes a lot of money to take detainees back and forth to mm -hmm. all five boroughs. That's 32 million. Well, let me correct it. It's 18 million that taxpayers pay for on wrongdoings, murders that happen. Lili Palanco, who, who was a trans woman that died in solitary confinement, her family was given 14, like, uh, uh, what is it, like uh, uh, 3.5 mil, $5 million? It was all could have been avoided. So a lot of this, that the Close Rikers Island campaign was to imagine a, a place where we are creating and looking at uh, the healing and the process of healing people. They're harming people, isolating people, belittling people um, by meeting people's um, core um, and root issues that needed to be met. And the needs as someone who'd been incarcerated, someone who uh, would, if the media was, uh, if you would have watched the news and the media would have had me on front, they would have been like, he's a murderer, killer, all types of stuff. 
instead of seeing a community organizer, leader, activist, mm -hmm. speaker. And and the thing about it is, is that they don't even talk about violence. You know what I'm saying? So like our communities are in a, in, in, in a major conversation that we know as a collective, even people who had did harm before. No, I did harm, but how do I repair the harm? And our community don't even know how to do that. We know violence is, should be treated as a health crisis and violence attached to a human being when they either seen violence or have violence done to them. Same just for me. So how do I repair back the harm that I did to my community? I'll build it up. I, I empower my community. I educate them about what it looks like to be incarcerated, to, to think different. I'm not trying to tell you, inspire you to, to, to say, yo, this is what you need to do. I'm just an individual who I wish the people in my neighborhood who, you, you know, them street dudes that are educated as fuck, they needed to be here. Because a lot of times, all the individuals that, that teach me stuff and the people that taught me stuff was people who was doing 25 to life. So me, the Close Rikers Island campaign, it wasn't just about a campaign. It's about giving people a hope. People who lost people being incarcerated, people who felt that they was never looked at as a human being, it's about them. Because I've seen people, I've seen how, how violent jails can be and prisons can be if we don't have the right resources there. I can see, I, I know how the, the system put gang members against each other or how they put black and brown people against each other. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, they, and that spreads and spills. We talk about the school to prison pipeline, but we don't, we don't talk about the, the, the prison to street um, pipeline. The, the prison pipe. The prison to street light, um, pipeline is, is very important to talk about because it, it, the influence of the prison system builds our streets. Mm -hmm. If you don't meet people resources. But I, I, and the campaign itself was a moment to not just close Rikers, but we made it achievable at the 2026. There will be no, uh, uh, no one can be incarcerated at Rikers Island. It was illegally binded. Um, we also won uh, 300 million. Uh, we was in... We was in conversation with a lot of these politicians. And the first thing, because I'm from Harlem, um, I heard, I'll be truthful, I heard about Curvance is a credible messenger. People who are, uh, they do creative and powerful work in our communities, especially where gun violence or people who have been killed. Um, they go to these communities and try to figure out how to heal the harm or, or figure out how to actually uh, be a, talk to the main individuals or the main so-called uh, individuals who are causing the problem and see what resources they need. Um, so I remember, you know, my neighborhood, I went to this like meeting and East Harlem wanted their care of violence to, to expand. I thought, when I heard that, I went in that meeting and we was hearing about, yeah, you, you know, this is what the resource is for. And, and I, and I heard like East Harlem, um, maybe we get them next time. Nah, get them now. Cause my hood, and, and I'm tired of walking by candles and champagne. Like I did that too many times. Do that now. But yeah, that's what, you know, that's where the four years was. Putting pressure on the mayor, following him around, chasing all these politicians. I ain't running down on no, we shouldn't be running down on each other in the hood. We should be running down these politicians. Right, right. Band together and run down on those that oh, are running down on us. That's a fact. And they're running down on us, not physically. <laughs> they're, they're running down on us through our voting process, thinking or that they're telling, yep, mm -hmm, saying that they're doing everything that they can. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? That saying that they're our request demands. You ain't fine because your, your tie still looks straight. 
Which leads me into mm -hmm. you standing behind the defund the police movement. Yeah, yeah. What progress and um, I know the, <laughs> if you want to speak on it because I don't want to miss say anything, but I do know and I was following it throughout um, trying to get that bill passed and yeah. seeing what happened afterwards. Yeah, I think the um, repeal 58. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think um, and even uh, to ban the chokehold, um, these are policies a lot of the ongoing nonprofits used were working on and then the, the grassroots really mm -hmm. brought it to the finish line. Forward, yeah. Um right now they still tr they're trying to the the police union is trying to uh, roll that back. Mm -hmm. It's scary because um even when I'm thinking about rollbacks, like the speedy trial discovery law and bail reform, um, these are policies that passed and the police union also helped roll that back too. And speedy trial, discovery law, and bail reform. Speedy trial is the ability to be seen for a misdemeanor for three months and for a felony, a six-month trial ready, right, um, to fasten the courts, right? Um, and then um, the bail, why do you have to pay for your freedom? You know what I'm saying? That's a bail's bonds. The bail's bonds uh, industry is making so much money off of black bodies. Um, and also, like, discovery law, why the prosecutor... Why do you have to wait to trial to see what the prosecutor has against you? Let me get what y'all have against me so I can know either I'm going to take or, or do what I have to do. In Texas, they, get, they make sure they have the discovery law because in reality, they want to make sure they ain't, ain't killing the wrong person. But here, the police union was responsible for that. They're trying to be responsible for uh, rolling back the chokehold, rolling back the repeal 58. And, and the defund police is like, for us, it's, it's not a failure. This is a moment where it's an international black revolution still happening. Black people are fighting everywhere. everywhere. I'm in connection with people who are still organizing. They have not gave up. Seriously, like people are putting their fucking life on the line. You are one of those people that I see doing that. But in reality, I've already been through too much. So it's nothing that the system can't do to me that I've already done. Like that. So, you know, for me, it's like, I, I already know what this, like this lifestyle, this ability is what it is. We're never, like, when we choose this work, we know what we're going to put against ourselves to. And when you say when we choose this work, it sort of leads me into my like last question for you. Mm -hmm. How did you decide you wanted to dedicate yourself to doing this work? And how do you mentally balance doing yeah. this work? You are seeing this day in and day out. You're privy to this. You're having these conversations. That's a lot to carry. That's a lot to hold, yeah. especially through everything yeah. you've been through in your past. How do you still wake up every morning dedicated to the cause? Yeah, I, I think just everything I've been through, you know, one of the things uh, that would help me kind of heal to do this work is the ability to speak about your life, your stories, and to educate. The natives used to do that. They were storytellers, and they healed through storytelling, something that helped me out. So for me, and sometimes I, I notice that we're, we're so Im uh, immune to, to so much uh, uh, stuff happening. You know, and sometimes I even got to catch myself back and say, yo, man, I'm immune to see a lot of stuff, and it's scary. You know, and I think for a lot of times for our communities, you know, when we are immune to, 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 to seeing people die in front of us or seeing people die, it's you know what I'm saying? Or, or, even, um, or even police beating us up. We can go right down a block and smoke a blunt. It's not, 
normal. Or police throwing you against the wall, that's not normal. Or even ICE, I was hearing a chat today and it was like, yo, you know, someone got, uh, you know, it was regular seeing my family get deported. Not normal. And I think... The children I, in cages? I think for us, we, we, we know that um, when Malcolm X said the, we are the last generation that really inspired all of us, you know what I'm saying? In a way, like, what does that actually mean economically wise? What does that actually mean um, to really be free? We're, you know, we're, we're not just fighting for, for people to be mentally free, right? Mm -hmm. You know, for us to get the help we actually need, for us to, to do the work in a just peaceful way. But we want to be free. Like, just because you as an individual ain't not dealing with oppression right now doesn't mean that your family won't or you down the line won't. We're the same. It just touches in different places and different times. This is our moment. And everything that we're going to do next, tomorrow, next week is about us and how we're going to get there. So. I love that. And I appreciate that. And I'm so appreciative Thank to you. have people like you Thank dedicated you. to this cause. Like, seriously, super kudos to you. Thank you. Appreciate it. With that, um, what message would you oh, give yeah. to the youth? Yeah, um, so I, I do, um, I, the youth, I would say that the revolution lives with us mm. and that we are the reason why we be free. And for every young person who's out there, I've seen organizing out there, 15, 14 years old, yeah. even people who are on my team, 15, 16 years old, they know we'll be okay. So the, the revolution will be with the youth, always will. My job as an elder <laughs> or someone who's experienced and, and been seeing a lot is to help them lead and step aside. And that's why I was able to not just build the biggest team in New York for Black Lives Matter, I was able to have very young people and i'm just inspired every single day so i would say to you keep changing the world you don't have to march and rally you can do it in your household you can do it in your school you can do it around your circle but you are the change and our ancestors are waiting that's deep that's powerful i want to throw you a curveball because <laughs> you keep saying this so i'm curious to ask you what does free look like to you mm -hmm. and for our community Simple. The ability to live okay. You know, when I, when I mean okay is like to have the resources you can reach out to to get this help you need. Resources, you, you look at different countries, you know what I'm saying? They got their, you know, their country is, is provided with everything they need. Socialism. Socialism was definitely used by the billionaires this pandemic. That is, a, that is a fact. That is so, a big fact that has been exploited. And I'm not saying, I'm saying that not no different method. I think every method has to be used in some way. Mm -hmm. The ones that are more to the left, though. Um, the ones that let people have resources. So I would say for people, the, the, what free actually means is for people to get the help they actually can want, deserve. And That's need to live. To live. Okay, so now the fun question. <laughs> Three songs that mm. you use to uplift your mood, change your mood, whatever mood, just your three go-to songs. Yeah. Um, I don't have like three go-to songs, but I say three go-to artists. 
Or you can say albums. Albums? I don't know. I really got a lot. I'm, I'm really a weird person when it comes to music. Okay. Um, so, like, I, I really listen to um, a lot of different artists. Um, and sometimes I don't even know their name. Um, sometimes I just want to support. Um, but I'll, I'll say right now is my little cousin, Keen Beats. Mm, um, who, family. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He actually is making a lot of um, beats for Loaded Lux and them. So I, it's, it's, oh. it's good to see them. Um, so I would say him. I would also say one of my mans from Lincoln Project named Mars. Um, so, you know, I'm going to shout out my local people. Um, and then I will also say, um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, just all the local individuals around Harlem um, who I've been really paying attention to because um, I'm in tune. You know what I'm saying? I'm, uh, as an organizer, I, I got to make sure I stay in tune with the music career, the music, whatever's happening. Um, Twizzy is uh, another rapper I actually like from East, uh, East Harlem. Um, and my, my other little cousin, Dave Vaughn. Um, so these are like four people in Day Day. These are four people music that I actually like. And they're all from Harlem. All Keeping from Harlem. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Consistent community. Yeah. It's like, you know, community coincide yeah. together. And, and they're all black. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I love it. I love it. Are they all black men? Yes. I'm going to put them on the playlist. Send <laughs> me the page. Thank you so Thank much you. for sitting down with me today. Thoroughly appreciate it. I appreciate you. And I know that you have to go back out and continue fighting this fight for <laughs> many of us who are, can't do it physically outside. But like you had mentioned, we can always find different ways to be a part of the revolution and that's something that I had preached when I was outside mm -hmm. going out um, supporting you supporting other organizers doing it but again we want to appreciate having someone like you being a warm body on the street <laughs> and whatever you need you know you have support in us here I appreciate that we need a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah we do and with that as always thank you for tuning in please make sure that you follow his movement and you can always follow us at Black Men Cry 2 T-O-O <laughs> on Instagram and YouTube. Thank you again. Looking for the ultimate stocking stuffers for this holiday season? Look no further because our sponsors, Manscaped, have the tools to make you win this year's stocking stuffer or white elephant competition. Manscaped is the only brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming and hygiene products. And great news, they just released their products across Europe, Canada, and Australia. Be sure to use code BLACKMENCRY2 at checkout for 20% off and free shipping.